Hey guys, before we get stuck into today's episode, I want to thank the sponsor of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, and that is Unify Health Supplements. Unify have the most premium, high-quality, science-backed products on the market in Australia today, and you guys can use the code TFLP to save 10% off your next order at unifyactive.com. Unify has a range of products, including whey protein isolate, plant-based protein, a pre-workout, creatine monohydrate, and their best-selling product, the Hydration Formula. So again, use that code TFLP to save 10% at unifyactive.com. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, legends? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Uh, absolute pleasure today to be joined by Cooper Chapman. Cooper, welcome to the show, buddy. Mate, thanks for having me. It's a very short turnaround from I know, getting real to quick know turn- each other that's, on social. That's how I roll, just take action straight away, but um, yeah. We, we literally met a few minutes ago, but um, I've obviously kind of taken a, a bit of a deep dive into your story and we have a few mutual friends um, and I love the stuff that you're doing as well. So, I mean, it all kind of lined up pretty well. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack today, man, but um, I do want to spend a fair bit of time talking about the, the, um, the, the good human factory, obviously. But before we dive into that, man, I'd love to hear about like your kind of, not so much your childhood, but like growing up and then be, becoming a professional athlete quite young and being on the road and I guess the the ups and downs of what that lifestyle was like for you um, early days yeah so I grew up in North Narrabeen on the Sydney's northern beaches had a great upbringing and was very lucky the surf lifestyle sort of popped up really quickly my dad surfed every day as a kid I was watching him down the beach and then from about the age of eight or nine I started getting pushed into some waves and quite quickly had a bit of talent I sort of from when I was 10 years old started doing well in our like local junior event comps Mm -hmm. and then got sponsored when I was about 10. So unlike a lot of athletes, I kind of had this vision of professional surfing and making it to a high level from that sort of 10, 11 years old, which normally people don't have that. Yeah, which was young. And then I had quite a lot of success up until like in surfing. You juniors is like under 12s, under 14s, under 16s. Mm. So I was generally in the top two to five surfers in my age group up until that age and there's so many ups and downs and you learn so much as a kid i remember crying every time i lost i reckon (laughs) until i was like 17 i pretty much cried every time (laughs) i lost but that's kind of i think what shaped me to be who i am today to realize that hey we're going to have all these different ups and Mm. downs and when i was 14 i won an australian title which qualified me to um, represent australia in the we call it the isa world junior games which is pretty much the epitome of junior surfing up until 18 and I was lucky enough to represent Australia four years in a row. I went to, I think I went to like Ecuador the first year, New Zealand the second year, Peru the third year, and Panama the fifth, and the Panama the fourth year. Which this is all in high school, so life was pretty crazy already from high school. So I didn't really know too much different, and I had a lot of really good role models around me. My local beach is quite renowned for high level surfing, mm-hmm. North Narrabeen. Yeah. So my best, oh, my sister's best friend, Laura Enivar, she was like three or four years older than me and she was kicking a lot of goals so i had this vision of like what's possible mm-hmm. and then almost following in the footsteps of the path that had already been laid yeah. yeah there'd been a lot of great success stories from narrabeen so that kind of opened my mind to what was possible and yeah i worked really hard throughout my teen years and had plenty of ups and downs and 
I guess a story which we will go into as the podcast goes through with my journey with mental health was throughout my teen years up until I was yeah about 20 because that's like the junior age finishes in surfing at okay. 20, 21 yeah. and then you go to the international qualifying series open. So throughout my teen years, I used to base my self-worth and my identity so much around my surfing. Mm-hmm. I'd go to my local beach and people would be like, oh, how was that last surf comp? Everything was Cooper Chapman the surfer. Yep. Which when you're successful is fine because conversations are quite positive. But yep. then I left my junior career kind of in that sort of top handful of surfers. Like I got second in the junior series, which is under 21 events, like at 17, 18 and 19. And then I kind of went on to this international tour with high expectations. And I went from about, yeah, top in Australia, junior to kind of rank between like 50 and 100 in the world on this qualifying series, which upon reflection is really good. Yeah. But when you're basing all your self-worth and your identity on winning comps and the conversations you have with people, I built a lot of like shame and almost anxiety mm-hmm. around going to my local beach because people would be like, oh, why didn't you win? Like, why isn't, why isn't that success still there? Yeah. So that was something that took me a long time to deal with and to grow from. But yeah, I think that's kind of one of the biggest things that I learned throughout my career to change the way I view myself and view how I, yeah, base my identity and not base it around my achievements. Yeah, I think it's so common. I mean, it's very helpful with people like yourself now bringing a lot of this stuff to light and discussing um, obviously a lot around mental health and mindfulness and whatnot, not tying your identity to whether you're a footballer or a surfer race car driver motocross rider whatever it may be um but you see so many athletes even all the way up until you know they retire once they retire they they have a lot of trouble with what to do next in life because they literally have just tied themselves to just being a footballer but i think i think now it's starting to change a little bit you see a lot of athletes starting to dip their toes into uh, uh, things outside of the sport they're in and whatnot but being as you mentioned so young and being so tied up with competition and traveling the world and whatnot at such a young age do you feel like you missed out on, on certain things as a child or was there certain aspects of your life that you feel like probably not if you could go back, but I mean, at the time, did you feel like you were missing out because you were so focused on the surfing side of stuff? Yes and no. Throughout high school, I was very lucky. I missed so much school, which when you're a kid is like the best thing ever. Yeah, great result. But, but I was lucky enough that I did have quite a good work ethic around school. I really enjoyed school, so I'd come back and kind of pick up on the work. But one thing that was a little bit tricky was because I was away so much, pardon me, I wouldn't get invited to like any parties at school because I'd come, people would never know if, when I was going to be home. So I just kind of felt like I missed out or maybe people just didn't want to invite me to their parties. <laughs> so that was something that at times was like, oh, far out. I feel like I'm missing out. But I was very lucky because I had like my surfing friends who were like all the best junior surfers from around Australia. I'd meet them at the next comp. Yep. And then I'd have my beach friends who I surf with at Narrabeen who didn't actually go to my school and then I'd have my school friends. So I learned very quickly that there's so many different people. And I think that's why I'm, I'm becoming so successful in what I do because I've got such an open mind to networking and mm. understanding that everybody has such a different life and we can learn from everybody and you need to be able to make friends with everybody. And I see so much nowadays judgment of like, Oh, like I don't want to be around someone like that. 100%. Whereas I feel like because of, how I grew up around so many different groups of people and then as well traveling, getting to see cultures, just mm. opened my mind to, yeah, what's out there. But I mean, I don't feel like I missed out on too much. I just feel like I had a lot of opportunities, whereas, but that's upon reflection. Yeah. Looking back now, I'm so grateful for the life I lived, but there was definitely a time which we can talk about in my early 20s when I lost my sponsor and 
a few things happened that can be looked at and which were at the time looked at as super negative from yeah. my mind in this big victim mentality. And yeah, a lot of changed throughout my mid twenties. What's the culture like within the surfing um, community? Like obviously being an individual sport, do you have much like camaraderie between um, competitors and athletes or do you all kind of hang out with each other outside of competition? Like what's that like? Surfing is a pretty cool industry that I feel like now being like a young entrepreneur and understanding how much more is out there, it is a quite toxic industry at times. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons is so often a lot of people who end up in quite high roles in the surf industry are ex-surfers that don't generally have the business background or the knowledge or education and there's a bit of ego that comes with it. So as a young athlete, you're trying to like fit into these people who have not quite got to where they wanted in their career and then they judge you for every little nitpick that you do. Yeah. And I felt like there was moments that I could have been far more nurtured in mm -hmm. my career and was trying so hard to fit into this mold of what I thought sponsors wanted me to be. Um, but yeah, the industry, I've been lucky that, well, not lucky, when I was in my career, I, I was right at the tail end of kind of the heydays of surfing. I was lucky I got a pretty good deal of it with a sponsor, enough to support myself from like 18 to 22, mm -hmm. whereas a lot of people didn't have that. But there was quite a lot of money in the industry going around like eight to 10 years ago. So a lot of the athletes were traveling with coaches and with friends and stuff and not traveling as a sort of camaraderie team. Right. And that's something that I really enjoy. Had your own little posse type thing, yeah. Yeah, but I was lucky that I wasn't making enough that I could afford to bring a coach or anything. So me and there was three or four of us would all travel together and we had such a good time. We just traveled yeah. the world as young pro surfers and lived the life like yeah. it was epic. Um, so I was lucky, I feel like, that I did build and develop those relationships and it's something I do pride myself on. I've got friends all around the world now because of yeah this open-mindedness to give everyone a chance and have a conversation with anyone and the amount of opportunities that have come from that and like the friendships that i have with people in europe america brazil i feel like i've kind of ended up being friends with everyone and i guess that's why i ended up having a business called the good human factor i feel like just being a good human opens up so many doors that's really cool you, you mentioned this then um outside of the really good times and the success and and living this really adventurous life uh, you also had some times that were probably you were struggling mentally, um, maybe it was the, the loss of the sponsorship or maybe not being as competitive as what you'd hoped to be or coming from a junior where you're up in that kind of top five most competitions. What, are you able to kind of talk us through that period um, of your life and then I guess how Good Human Factory even kind of come about? Yeah, for sure. So throughout my early 20s, I had a bit of success in the on the international tour. I think the highest I rated on our, it's called the qualifying tour. So how surfing works is, top 32 in the world mm -hmm. and then there's kind of the next tour which is called the qualifying series and that is um kind of there's a step with 100 people in that tour and the top 10 from that tour each year qualify for the world tour and the bottom 10 from the 32 fall off come back down yeah so i got like to 23rd and then like i think 30th so i was within like one or two heats mm -hmm. from qualifying so i got close and that was in my early 20s and my sponsor at the time said to me if you don't qualify for the tour next year, you're gone, which is a lot of pressure to get put on when yeah. you're like 22 years old and you're like, what am I going to do next? And then I didn't qualify that next year for the tour. My sponsor were like, this was one of the hardest things that they said to me. They were like, oh, we don't see you ever going to get there. We'll still sponsor you. But I went from like making $50,000 a year and they're like, we'll give you a $5,000 contract, but we want you to come and work a day in the office. And it went from like, being I'm traveling the pretty much. Yeah. And I was just like, nah I'm out so yeah. I, I like said no to that deal and that's when I went through this kind of real victim mentality I'm like oh like 
I surf a lot better than, and I'm higher rated than a lot of guys who are making really good money. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went into this spiral of I had to go get a job to be able to fund my career. I was working at a surf school like oh, 50 hours a week to wow. get to the next event. And then I ended up doing like carpentry and um, landscaping for like two, three years to fund my next event. And there was a bit of a turning point after about six months to a year of like, am I going to keep doing it? Like, oh, I'm over it. I'm sick of having to work. And the thing that really changed for me was gratitude. And I'll tell you why. I was on the job, I was on a work site doing like 50, 60 hours a week so I could afford to go to the next event. And for about three or four events, I was going to Europe and I'd kind of be like complaining, like, oh, I wish I was like getting paid so I didn't have to work. But then I changed my mindset and I went, wait a second, all the guys who are on the work site with me back at home, they're still there right now and I'm living it up yeah. in Portugal, I'm living it up in Hawaii. Yeah. And I stopped comparing my life to the people around me in the surf industry and not even started comparing it to other people. I just started to be like, oh, wait a second. Like, I still have amazing opportunities. I'm still chasing my dream. Sure, I have to work a little bit harder and in a different way to get there. But that was when I really changed. And then for the back sort of last five years of traveling the world competing surfing, I've done it with such a like, not happy to lose, but such an open mind to Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know what? Life's pretty good. Like, More perspective. Could, yeah, just yeah. a different perspective. And it changed from like being bummed out when I'd go away to like just being so excited and just living in the moment when I'm away, trying to go and yeah. experience more things than just the surfing. And I think that's where I've started to detach my identity a lot from surfing now. With that change of mentality, was that, do you put that down to anything in particular? Was it maybe a book you read? Was it someone you had a conversation with? Or, or do you feel like it was just you having to sit through that? I guess, suffering and the victim mentality to the point where you realize that you just come to the realization yourself that they're like saw things with better perspective and realize that there is a a better way to live. I don't, I do read a lot of books and I can't remember a pinpoint moment of something that I read, but I think it was just a gradual thing of going away and it's like, it just got tiring. Like, Mm -hmm. do I want to be the victim or do I want to be the hero of my story? And it just sort of once i'd go back to my work site i was like i actually kind of enjoy the building stuff as well so why am i like complaining about it and then i just started to keep changing and just being so like open to changing my mind Mm -hmm. and then i just started to read a lot of books um like one of the first ones i read was like grit by angela duckworth and just realized that whatever i put my mind to like you're going to overcome challenges if you're willing to do the hard work and overcome challenges and then I read like Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, yeah. which is, I'm sure you've probably read that yeah. one. There's just so much great information out there if you're willing to go look for it. And I think it was just me maturing a bit and taking responsibility and going like, you know what, if I want to learn better ways to think and better ways to live my life, I need to go out there and take some action to do it. And it started with reading books and then, yeah, just having conversations with people and being open to change. And so what prompted the, the Good Human Factory? How did, how did that idea come about? And I guess what were those initial steps to get the ball rolling and, and build some momentum with that? Yeah, so as I've kind of explained the last 10, 15 minutes, I'd gone through this stage where I had to take care of my own mental health and mm-hmm. change my mind and develop these skills from my own responsibility. And I'd had some family history with mental illness. I'd lost an uncle to suicide when I was quite young. And then my dad had been sort of in and out of depressive states throughout my teen years. So I'd been aware of it. And knew that potentially it was going to be a problem in my, or like something that I'd have to deal mm-hmm. with in my life. And I think that's why I was so proactive about finding solutions for myself with no vision at all to start a business. Um, and then I'd run a few surf camps to make a bit of extra money and to share my knowledge with kids. 
and I'd run these weekend camps where we'd do surfing, skateboarding, gym session, nutrition. And one of the things we did was like a visualization meditation mm-hmm. thing because that was something I was really into then and still am now. And at the end of the weekend of training, a lot of the parents were coming up to me saying, oh, the kids love the um, meditation the best. And at, the mo- at that time, I didn't think much of it. I was like, oh, epic. How cool is that? A few months later, my younger sister had lost two friends. In or She came home from school one day and was like, oh, one of my friends took his own life. Wasn't a close friend, but still, you're mm. in year 12 at high school and a f- kid's coming one day and they're not coming the yeah. next day. Two weeks later, she comes home and another friend had taken his life. And I just kind of, I remember it so clearly. I was sitting around our dinner table with my three sisters, mum and dad, and I was just like, boiled my blood. I was like, why are people, like, why is anyone taking their life? But living in the most beautiful part of the world, Sydney's Northern Beaches, like so privileged. Why are people getting to that point? And I did a bit of research and looked at the stats and kind of, because of my family history, knew it was something that is a problem, but didn't understand to the extent. And Mm. I was like, I want to do something about this. And my dad's my biggest supporter and pushed me in the direction. He's like, why don't you try and go and speak to kids at schools? I know you've done a lot of work and you've developed a lot of skills that help you. Why not try and go and share that with some kids at school? And I was like, all right. So I spoke to one of my old school teachers who's a legend, um, Woody, and he was like, let's go have a beer. So we went down and had a beer at the local um, pub and I kind of told him, like, hey, I just want to come and try and do something about this problem that we have. Like, can I come and speak to the kids at my old school at Narrabeen? And he was like, he opened my mind to starting a business. He was like, man, there's really good money in public speaking, especially the niche that you can probably bring being Mm. like an under 30 still active professional athlete. So he was like, go develop a workshop and bring it back and you can chat to the kids. So I was just about to leave for Hawaii for some surf comps for a month. So I went to Hawaii, developed a little PowerPoint presentation and, so funny, I look back at it and it was so <laughs> shit. I don't know if I can swear on here, but yeah. it was terrible. Fucking oath you can. <laughs> it was terrible. But anyway, I, I just started. And that's what I say to people. Like People are so scared to start. And I'm like, yeah. if you saw the presentation I did two years ago, t- terrible. Yeah. Whereas now, like I just got booked by Apple to speak. Like, I got booked by the biggest client in the world. And it's like two years of me just failing and failing yeah. and failing and failing. And hey, here I am now. And if you don't take that first step, two, this, this time now, you're, you're still... Exactly. trying to figure out how to, to exactly. do it perfectly and you know where yeah so i did that workshop and at this time i'm still working as a tradie doing 50 hours a week mm-hmm. to travel to the next surf event so i have minimal time to yeah. get this stuff done so i do a couple at local schools and i very naively was like sweet i'm gonna call schools and be like hey i'm pro surf cooper chapman can i come and <laughs> chat to your kids like here's my fee willy-nilly and then very quickly I learned you need to build the credibility and the skills to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went about a year of just kind of maybe a handful of workshops, not really putting too much time and effort into it because I was so busy. Mm-hmm. And then COVID was just like the biggest blessing in disguise for me. Like COVID hit and all my events got cancelled for the year. And then JobKeeper came in and my accountant was like, look, and he's a massive supporter of mine and the Good Humor Factory too. And he was like, look, because you're a pro surfer and all your events are being cancelled, you've got two options. You can either go full-time as a tradie right now and make 1200 bucks a week, or you can get the 750 from the government and spend a few months to build your business yeah. and build the good human Invest factory. Yourself, yeah. And I was like, whether it's morally right or wrong that I did have a job that I could have gone and done and I chose that instead. <laughs> I mean, you look at the work I do and I don't feel bad about it at all. Yeah. Because, <laughs> so anyway, I went down that route and I moved to Byron Bay for what was meant to be two months turned into four months tried to build out my program a bit better 
worked out that it needed more than a few months to get a business profitable and i mean it's only probably now in the last two three months that the business has actually become at a point that i can sustain myself but yeah throughout covid it just gave me a good opportunity to develop a lot more than just my workshop and i started doing like merchandise for a bit of fun and then i started reaching out to my network of people and asking for mental health tips um and then i started a podcast and just started to realize that there's an opportunity in the mental health industry to come at it from a different angle I know you said you've had Hugh on your podcast too, Van Kylenberg, yeah. and he's someone I really look up to that mental health doesn't have to be mental illness. Mm-hmm. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not trying to go in and tell people I know any answers. I just want to share what my story is because I know from my own experience that some very simple things like gratitude, like mindfulness, like kindness can make a profound effect on your life if you dedicate some time to them every day. So that's where my whole business model is around not telling people what depression and anxiety looks like. I'm not a psychologist. I want to empower people to develop the skills themselves. And that's where I come in with my workshops. That's what I talk about with my guests on my podcast Mm -hmm. and just trying to make mental health cool because we tend to think of mental health as mental illness, but like one in five Australians will be diagnosed with a mental illness, but five in five of us have mental health. And we generally forget that. So we all need to be doing something to take care of it. You would have absolutely loved uh, Paddy Pimlet's post-fight um, speech the other day. I think it was so powerful. And I could, I just, I mean, so many people that I know for a fact have no interest in UFC or fighting or anything were sharing this mm. this thing. And I think it got shared so much that the it's only going to help. Mm. It, it was awesome. How do we get him? So on our, how do we get him on our podcast? Eh? We need a wig first. And yeah, then I know. We'll send we need him, to send him a video wig. or something like that. I literally spoke about. I have um on my podcast on Wednesdays. I do this one percent episode. But anyway, yeah. I, I speak about one topic that I find interesting, and it's funny you bring that up. I literally spoke about and told everyone go watch that interview, and then spoke for about five minutes on the importance of asking yeah. for help, and that asking for help is a strong thing. Mm. It's not a sign of weakness. We all need to ask for help every now and then, and the first step is sharing with the people around you when you're struggling because a problem shared is a problem halved. So the more that yeah. we can be open to doing that, the better off. So yeah, watching that, it, like, it made me so proud of him as a person because yeah. I've followed him and loved watching him fight for quite Being some such time. such a character too and, yeah. and such a showman, yeah. And it was just beautiful to see how he said that message in mm. the way he did and, yeah, it made some waves around the world. You mentioned the the 1% uh, group that you run before, which I think is really, really cool. You were explaining a bit about it more in detail before we um, hit record. Um, be able to share a bit with the listeners and, and the viewers around kind of what that is and, and I guess the power of it and bringing that community together? Yes, I kind of had this inner sort of feeling i was like i've got this business and my offering is a workshop and a podcast and it's kind of not a community like i wanted to build a community where people could feel safe and have resources that can actually like i didn't want to be like here's my workshop and you've got nowhere to go after this Mm -hmm. so it started i was finally enough doing a meditation like like 380 days ago now and i'll tell you why i know the number and i was (laughs) And I was sitting there in a 10 minute meditation like we all do and I couldn't stop my mind from thinking and I was like, far out, I need to make sure I meditate every single day. I preach it. I talk about it in my workshops with people, but I'm not doing it every day. I know I'm not. And then I was like, I need the accountability. And I'd done a few, I'd done this like men's group thing, leadership thing. And they talked about the idea that you're 95% more likely to maintain a habit if you have an accountability group. So I was like, maybe if I, and then I was like in this meditation, I was like, surely we can give 1% of our day to our mental health. Like everyone listening right now should be able to agree where mental health is the biggest killer of people from 14 to 44 in Australia. Surely we can dedicate 1% of our day to our mental health. So in my head, I'm like, that's 
I, I stopped my medit- my 10 minute meditation pretty much like three minutes into it. I went, I can't do this anymore. This is too good of an idea. <laughs> so I get my phone out and I'm like, what's 1% of a day? And it works out to be 14 minutes. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make these accountability groups on Instagram for one, for me to make sure that I give 1% of my day for my mental health. So every morning I send a guided 10 minute meditation, just a YouTube link. Yep. And then every single night I write three things I'm grateful for. I've posted on my story. I'm on 385 days in a row right now. That's awesome. And what's really cool now is it started, and I think there was like 50 people joined up there. And on Instagram, you can only have 32 per group chat. So I started these group chats, and I think there was like, yeah, 50 people, maybe two groups the first week. Mm-hmm. And I'd just send the meditation in the morning, and then at night, write three things I'm grateful for. Then everyone would write their three things they're grateful for as a little reminder. So that's their 14 minutes. They do yep. the meditation in the morning and the <laughs> gratitude at night. And it's grown from, yeah, every day I've done it now for. And it's completely free. So anyone listening, if you want to join, literally just send at the Good Human Factory a direct message and we'll um, we'll add have a link to, a to that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So now we're at like 380 days. I think there's 900 members. And it's just so cool to see. There's 27 group chats now. That's awesome. And I, it's logistically a little bit tricky, but I've maintained it. Have you thought it. of like a, maybe like a Discord or a Telegram or something like that? So I have. And this is what I've actually noticed. So by having smaller groups, it's created these micro communities yep. where the same people see the same people's mm-hmm. every day so yeah. you and these are all randoms from all around the world but they begin to support each other because they see the other person's life through okay, their gratitudes yeah, cool. every day whereas if there was 900 people people just get lost in yeah. the like big train of it yeah so that's kind of where i'm like the micro communities are really cool but i do in the future have a few ideas to like do some like retreats and invite like all the group to come somewhere or like meet up some meditations and then eventually like it's at 900 people now it's starting to get awesome. pretty hard but i want to develop an app that's called like the one percent app where you build your own 14 minute mental health plan so it's like all right one percent of my day i have to give to my mental health mm-hmm. and you can build like all right three minutes of journaling in the morning four minutes of gratitude and it's, i don't know that's kind of just an idea yeah, yeah, yeah. i just need to work out how it looks but i just think this idea of giving one percent of your day to your mental health is so important and we should all be able to agree on it yeah i love that I'll, like i just mentioned we will have all the links to um cooper's socials and all this stuff in the show notes as well for anyone who who's interested to jump in some of these because i know a lot of people listening would be yeah it's it's cool it's like everyone's so supportive and everyone's like people write in like oh i've had a really bad day today but i found this this and this to be grateful for and then like 25 strangers will be like Hey man, if you need to catch up, like I've sent you a DM and it's like, Mm. these people don't owe anything to anyone, but they're just inspired by each other. And it's like, it's really special to foster a community like that. It's completely free. And it's like, I give a discount to all my merch to everyone in the group. And it's just a really cool supportive thing. So yeah, that's something, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of what I do. Yeah. Awesome. Good on you, man. What's in terms of, um, I guess we, I think you see so often now on social media, podcasts, books and all that type of stuff and, and you know, even with the content you're sharing, how that may look like or how the, um, the 1% may look for someone who's doing it well every single day or when, when everything's kind of going smoothly. But how do you dig your way out of a hole, I guess you could say, on the days where you're just having a really shit day or if there's, you know, you might hear some bad news or something doesn't go well with the business or you, you have a shit surf, whatever it may be. Do you have any tools or... Um, I guess questions or prompts you kind of ask yourself to really get yourself back out of that negative mindset and back into a positive flow? Yeah, I'll give you a quick story and this will relate to this. You'll see why. So I was in Japan uh, when I was right around my early 20s when I'm really struggling with my identity, especially when I'm losing in events. And me and my three best friends who we're traveling with all lost in the first round in Japan. 
in Chiba, which is like an hour train ride from Tokyo. And we're like, what are we going to do to make ourselves feel better? We're like, let's go into Tokyo. We'll go buy ourselves some shit. <laughs> you know, retail therapy, like we all yeah. kind of, we, Western world, we get sold from the media marketing that when you get this, then you'll be happy. Anyway, so we get the train into Tokyo, we buy ourselves some junk we don't need, and then we get the train back to where we're staying. That night, we're having dinner with this guy making a sushi, and it was like a nice sushi restaurant, and we're having a chat to him while he's making it. And he's like, oh, how's your day? We're like, oh, to be honest, it was a bit disappointing. We lost in the surf comp this morning, so we went into Tokyo and bought ourselves some stuff and checked it out, and it was fun, and yeah, we're feeling pretty good now. And he goes, oh, you guys have got it all wrong. I was like, what do you mean? He said, here in Japan and in my family and our culture, we say when you're having a bad day, don't go and buy yourself something nice. Go and do something nice for somebody else. That'll make you feel good. Mm. And when I heard that, it's really changed my mind and my understanding around what makes you actually feel good. Yeah. And actually fulfills you and not yeah. just gives you that short bit of happiness. For and, and the work yeah. that I do now, like the science behind kindness is massive. Like type in on Google, like kind people are happier people. There's so much literature and so many studies now that show people who are willing to do for others, people who are kind that's a really positive way to bring yourself out of a funk mm. yet like i true i truly think like capitalism has pretty much created depression like we're sold like you drive down a street and it's like buy this home you'll be happier go on this holiday you're going to be happy buy this you'll be happy yeah. it's like no we need to learn how to be happy in what we have and for me that comes from gratitude mindfulness and kindness and being kind to other people is how we can really fulfill ourselves rather than filled with a band-aid of what capitalism kind of sells us yeah i love that you mentioned before about the meditations and you know sending through the links to the groups and whatnot just out of curiosity what it, what are some of your uh, kind of go-to meditations is it more of the guided is the mantra do you have certain people that you like to follow like i'm a big fan of like dr joe Dispenza and mm, a few guys good. like that um yeah is there any that you kind of gravitate to towards more than others funnily enough i actually don't do the ones that i send in the group disclaimer to everyone anyone who's <laughs> listening because the reason i send the, i kind of say to people if you find one that you like one day that i send just keep doing that yeah. one if you enjoy that one just keep doing that one and what i do because they're all guided ones and i've been meditating for quite some time so i like the challenge of it and i have some good friends called um Chris Sol and Rochelle Fox, who own a meditation school called Mindspo. I'm actually going to Cyprus with them in September to do a meditation retreat, which is going to be epic. That's cool. But they also have an app called Manifesti, which is around manifestation. You can like create your full manifestation video with music, but they also have a lot of meditations on it, which are generally mantra. They have a few guided ones, yeah. but then they also have like 15, 20 and 30 minute um, just mantra meditations, mantras, yeah. which are what I kind of like to do mm -hmm. to really try and have nothing there yep. except for just that anchor of a mantra so Presence, yeah that's what i use as a manifesti app it's um yeah I, I find that good that you can just click and you've got the same people's voice it's yeah. really soothing whereas for the groups because it is a paid platform i don't i kind of want to steer anything away from the one percent club to be paid yes yeah so i'd say to them like download it if you want but here's a one to try this morning anyway have you ever put any thought into trying um i don't know if this is actually what it's called it might be called vipassana or something like that the one where it's like the silent retreat yeah, like yeah, you yeah where you meditate from like morning to night and you can't you don't speak or communicate with anyone i've it's on my radar i really want to do, friends do it and so it's life-changing oh man yeah I, I can imagine it would be but they said it was so powerful but i mean just the thought of it it's it, it would be such a challenge it's daunting isn't yeah. it yeah i've had some friends that have done it too but i would i'd like to do like a three-day one i think would be yeah. nice i've heard you have to like do the, the intro shorter length and then build up to a longer one but 
one day. I, yeah. I love challenges like that. I think it would be cool just to see where your mind takes you yeah. and how hard it is to be disciplined with something that we've done since we could talk. We haven't stopped talking for a long time, yes. <laughs> especially us. <laughs> yeah, I know, shit. <laughs> um, yeah, at the moment, you're doing one year sober, um, if, I'm, if I'm correct, yeah? Yeah, I'm what, what 13 kind of- weeks in. Nice. How's, uh, I guess, firstly, what prompted that and, and how are you finding it so far? What has been your experience and, and maybe some of the struggles or the things that you were surprised with? Yeah, so I had um, a neuroscientist on my podcast a couple months back. I think it was episode 44 of Good Humans. Um, her name was Nicole Vignola. She's this lovely lady from over in um, England. And we just spoke about the effects of a whole bunch of different things in our brain from recreational drugs to alcohol to meditation to sleep to everything Mm -hmm. and that fascinates me and i'm sure it does you too like the neuroscience of stuff just like is so interesting to me but one of the things that came up when she spoke about alcohol was that there's some new studies that even having like one drink can begin to like create don't quote me on this go listen to the podcast (laughs) something to do with like gray matter in the brain and i was like you know what i'm up for a challenge like i'm about to turn 28 in a few weeks i've drunk alcohol I mean, from 18 to 28, 10 years, but realistically from 15 to 28. So I've drunk alcohol for a lot of my life, multiple times a week or at least weekly or fortnightly. And I was like, I'm going to try to take a year off. And I just said it live on the podcast. And then because when you say (laughs) it live on a podcast, and then I started a podcast about it to keep myself (laughs) accountable. But it's been crazy, man. The last 12 weeks of my life of like, I feel like I've knocked a domino over and just the amount of opportunities that have popped up. Like I was telling you off air before, like so many things have just started falling into place. And I don't think it's directly because of stopping alcohol, but it was definitely one of the starting triggers of time from when a lot of good things fell into place. So it's been interesting. It's been fun. I haven't really stopped doing the things that I would normally do. I have a lot of friends who will be DJs. I know you've had Alex Hayes on your pod. Um, I feel like that's that's the mentality that a lot of people have is like when they're making the decision, even if it's for a short period of time to, to stop drinking, it's like they're, they're pairing mentally something. of like, oh, if I'm not going to drink, well, I can't go and hang out with the boys and stuff like that. Yeah. And I've just been, I've like t- taken it as a bit of a game. Like I've gone out to like Surface Paradise and watched one of my friends, Jackknife DJ, and I had like a full booth completely by myself with bottle service <laughs> and I didn't drink and I just kind of sat there and I was like, why do I care what everyone else is thinking of me? Like if I'm happy and healthy and people are judging me, it generally is coming from an insecurity of them that yes, they can't. Yeah. And what I've noticed is the first time you tell someone, the the, the kind of response is, oh, come on, have a drink, like, mm-hmm. r- like right out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you go like, no, I'm just trying to take care of my health for a year and like see what I can achieve in a year of not drinking. And then always the second response is like oh i wish i could do that and that's what i'm so proud of what i'm doing i'm documenting the journey for one to keep myself accountable like i do a tiktok each week and then um have a podcast just a short episode and it's become my most listened to podcast episode each week more than my guests and more than my community and i get multiple messages every day from people telling me their story and how it's inspired them and that's what's like really cool that by just getting to share my journey to keep myself accountable Mm -hmm. is inspiring other people to continue on their journey yeah. through the the peer pressure that does come with drinking alcohol in Australia. Yeah. But also, yeah, it's just opened a lot of people's minds, I think, to sharing my experience that we can overcome that negativity that people seem to... It's so weird, alcohol. It's like, it's one drug that is quite literally... There's no positive benefits, except for maybe it might loosen you up to have fun. But yeah. for, from a health point of view, you're literally poisoning your body. Yeah. 
And it's the one thing that people like get weird about you. Yeah. yeah, if you don't poison your body, it's, <laughs> it's strange. But I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'll drink again. Like I'm a part owner of an alcohol company. I was just about to mention it, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm a part owner of Gravity Seltzer. So I'm in a predicament right now. We've got a, we've got a new <laughs> flavor coming out this week, and I'm like, am I allowed to try my new flavor, yeah. or am I not allowed <laughs> to? So, um, yeah, I'm not against drinking alcohol at all. Like I've partied probably harder and <laughs> done some more dumb shit than most. Yeah. But I also understand that it is important to be able to change and have the adaptability to take a year off something yep. that has had such... And it's like, I just wanted to make sure I could. Yeah, build on that discipline muscle. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, if I can't, then like alcohol's winning. Alcohol's got the mm-hmm. grip on me. It's like, I want to be in control here. What is a... Just changing the, changing the topics a little bit here. What does a typical week um, when you're in competition for surfing look like in terms of the training perspective physically? I'll tell you what it used to look like because to be honest, I'm pretty transitioned out of surfing. This last like 12 weeks has made me so open-minded to how much more purpose and opportunity there is in the career that I'm following now. Um, But back when I was like last year, pretty much this time last year, I went to Europe for Portugal, France, Hawaii and America events. And leading into that, like I'd, be doing like three strength and conditioning sessions. Luckily I was on a scholarship with surfing Australia and we had like Olympic strength and conditioning coaches. Awesome. Amazing facility. If you're ever up on the gold coast, I'll take you down there. Yeah, Arena. It's epic. They got a big skate ramp into um, airbags and awesome. big trampoline into foam pits. So I was doing like one like aerial training with the trampoline coach a week, three stre- strength and conditioning sessions. And then also, um, surfing every day but then with like one or two sessions with the coach like watching back how equipment looked doing heat drills against other aussie athletes so we could sort of spar and get ready so there was a fair bit but i mean we're lucky surf training is pretty cool we go surfing for training mate from someone who really knows like i enjoy watching surfing but from a a knowledge perspective i know absolutely fuck all about how it's actually scored and with the heats and stuff so are you able to explain to yeah. me how it actually works in competition from the first heat to potentially making a final and what it's actually scored off? Yeah, so I'll explain like my tour. So my tour is called the qualifying series. Now it's actually changed a bit this year, but I'll explain like how it used to be. So if you're in the top 100 on the qualifying series, which you have to get through by doing well in smaller events, mm-hmm. and I kind of did well in smaller events from 18, 19 and maintained my seed throughout my 20s. So I'll go to an event in, say I went to South Africa, there'll be 96 competitors in the event. The first round, every, there'll be four-man heats, so four people, and two will progress through each heat. So we'll go from 96 to 48 down to 24. Yep. Um, so you're only versing the four guys in your heat, and t- yeah, 50% progression from the first heat. So if you lose in your first heat, you're out. Catch you later. So you go out and you'll serve 30-minute heat. Within the 30 minutes, everyone catches as many waves as they want, and your best two waves are going to be tallied together and that's your final heat score so each wave you stand up on is scored out of 10 at the end of the heat the best two that you stood up on in that 30 minutes get combined and the top two surfers with the two top combined scores Mm -hmm. progress through the heat so yeah it's round of 96 and then you got to get through the next heat round of 48 then it'll go round of 24 and then it goes down to man on man heats once you get down to like the round of 16 people yep and then yeah it's like round of 16 round of eight round of four like semis and then final man on man so it's um there's a lot of heats to get through and there's a lot of really good surfs in the world and it's that same way of scoring each round even all the way down to the finals where it's literally like your two best exactly when there's two guys in the heat 
you're both out there and it's man versus man. Whoever yeah. has the best two combined waves in that 30 minutes wins eight. Yeah, right. And then to layer it on top of that, it's like scoring subjective because you've got five judges. I was just about to say, yeah. However you stand up and surf the wave, it's scored on like speed, power, flow, the maneuvers you do on the wave, the criticalness of the maneuvers. So mm-hmm. there's, it's very subjective. So yeah. the judging can be... And then there's five judges. They'll all lock in their score every time you stand up and the highest and the lowest scores get thrown out and the three middle ones will get averaged together and that's that score for that wave. Yeah, right. There's a bit that goes into it then. But once you yeah. kind of get it, it, yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, that's in a nutshell for anyone who kept along with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what at the moment do you feel like are your biggest, uh, I guess, two things, like your biggest vulnerabilities and I guess your biggest insecurities or if there is any that you feel like you have at the moment? There's a couple. One, I'm a bit... I'm I'm very naive. Uh, not, not naive is the right word. I'm just so new to like starting a business and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think I've got so much to learn, but I've kind of lent into this mindset. Like I feel like I'm a second year apprentice with the business that I've started. I'm expecting to make mistakes every day because that's how I'm going to learn and get better. But the insecurities, I'm a bit scared about the growth of growing and having to build the team. I'm very... I find it very hard to like give scales people order. Yeah, stuff, scales. Yeah. That's that kind of is giving me a bit of anxiety. Like, where do I go from here? But I still feel like there's a lot of growth I can have personally as a speaker, um, as a podcaster, yeah. and keep it quite small. But the bigger I become as a speaker, as a podcaster, as a social media profile, the more people I can reach, and that's the goal is to just inspire as many people to make positive mental health choices. But yeah, there's. I don't know. I've, I'm pretty. In, I'm in a really good spot right now, to be honest. But I'm fearful, yeah, of the growth that could come yeah. with it, and the unknown. Yeah, I, guess. I think one of the other fears is just like I really don't want to like get an ego or anything involved with it. Like I just want to always be about giving and doing for others. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I've learned that that's what brings me purpose. And yeah, if I can grow in an authentic way that's helping people along the way, that's the main goal. That's really cool. Is there anywhere in the world that you haven't been that you want to go to? heaps of places there is yeah well because i've always traveled with a surfboard i'm very excited i'm, I'm going yeah. <laughs> yeah well with when i say a surfboard with a coffin surfboard case with six surfboards in it that you're yeah, right. around the world so i generally only go to the coast i'd love to go on some more snow trips mm. there's so many places in europe that i'd love to go like i mean my brother-in-law's a big dj so i'm going to go to ibiza and watch him dj S- slightly big yeah <laughs> So I'm going to go watch him in Ibiza for a week in September and then I'm going to go to Cyprus with my friends who have that meditation school and do a meditation retreat. So I'm excited to start traveling without a surfboard and yeah. I'll always be a surfer. I'll always get in the ocean wherever I can, but I'm also excited for this next chapter of experiences that don't involve a surfboard yeah. with me all the time and involve meeting new people, experiencing new cultures and just learning from every aspect that I can. Unreal, man. Well, before we wrap up, last thing, what is there anything at the moment that outside of travel, like one or maybe two things that, that you want to do that you just kind of have maybe on the bucket list, whether it's something that scares the shit out of you or, or something that you just <laughs> haven't done that, that is on the bucket list that you really want to do one day? Oh, there's so many things. One thing I, I kind of like manifested and have been saying in my head recently that I want to try and write a book before I'm 30. I think that would be like cool to be an author. And then I'd been thinking that for a while and I literally had a um, book publishing company sent me a DM like three days ago going like, hey, have you ever thought about doing a book? Like we'd uh, love to have a meeting awesome. and talk to you. And I was like, yeah, I have actually yeah. <laughs> thought about doing a book. So 
that's something that I want to try and do. And that scares the shit out of me because I feel like I'm not that good of a writer. Like, I feel like I can storytell very well. Man, something that I've put some thought to, and this might be an avenue you could go down, is I actually started, uh, <laughs> embarrassingly started and stopped. But I actually just re- th- thought about just going off the cuff, recording like an audio book in chapters, and then publishing the audio book and getting the audio book transcribed to the written book. Because idea. if you're you're clearly a good speaker and and can talk super well, Underwater. so I thought like why not actually just play to your strengths and actually do mm. do it that way and have the the written process done by a transcriber or a ghostwriter or something like that. Hmm, that's a good idea. Interesting. Yeah, that is a cool idea. But I feel like even that you still want to write your notes for that you want to talk about talk in your about, story. But yeah. yeah, I mean I'm going to chat to these publishing people and see what they say. But I, that's a really cool idea. I like that. But I want to do it as well. Like I want it to be about my story but weave in a self-development book through it okay which is yeah. how like yeah. kind of how i've like told my story right now i want to mm. like tell the chapters of be like the different lessons that i learned from when i lost my sponsor how i felt awesome. through that yeah. and what i learned from that was gratitude and talk about just kind of i want to build it into like a self-development slash autobiography like slash biography like just yeah. a story of like a pro surfer who went from you know and hero to victim to hero mentality and that's, that's something that I want to try and do in the next couple of years. But I just feel like I'm so early in my speaking career that there's so much exciting stuff ahead. So, yeah, yeah I just want to keep learning that. Yeah. Like, that's something I'm like really aware of. I've been carrying a bit of anxiety actually lately that I'm like, oh, I've done my presentation over 100 times now. Like, what next? And I'm like, I just need to keep having conversations with great people like yeah. yourself, keep reading books and keep growing as a keep person evolving, because then yeah. I can, yeah, continue to offer better things for myself but then also to others unreal man thanks for joining me cooper it's been awesome thanks so much pleasure thank you to everyone who's tuned into this episode um i hope you've enjoyed it as much as i have if you have we'd love for you to share this episode with a friend either send them the link take a screenshot share it on your instagram story or or just tell a friend or family member Um, again pleasure to have you on man i'm looking forward to following your journey and hopefully have you back on just before you release the book Mate, I can't wait. I'll have you on mine as well (laughs) soon too. So, man, it's great to have this platform and thanks for having me in. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening, guys.